Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. And whether you are live or watching on the live stream via Facebook or YouTube, we want to offer a very, very warm welcome to each of you. Uh, we are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And it is a tremendous privilege to be able to come into the presence of the Lord and to worship and honor him. If you're visiting with us, we offer a warm welcome to you. We want to invite you uh, to help yourself on the welcome table to, I call it swag. I don't know if that's a good word for it or goodies or whatever it is, but the welcome team has provided some tremendous things uh, for you to get to know us, and so we invite you to pick that up. Now I want to just call attention to a couple of different announcements, different things going on in the life of the church. Uh, I always think it is a special Lord's Day when we come to the Lord's Supper. God is inviting us to his family meal, and mine is already down there, but I do hope you picked up your little, what do I call them, cup of elements? It's not a cup of soup, but cup of elements that you have, so that we have that. Raise your hand if you don't have one and would like one, so that... The men can make sure you have that. So as I'm giving the announcements, keep your hands held high, and they will make sure you have that. A couple of other things to remind you of. The women's ministry trip to the State Botanical Gardens uh, at UGA is this Tuesday, the 11th. And ladies, you all are meeting to carpool here at the church at 9 a.m. Two week. Whoop. Okay, 10 a.m. Brenda tells me 10 a.m., so make sure I can still read. So that's 10 a.m. at the church to carpool. Thank you, Brenda. Uh, 
My installation service comes up two weeks from today. Note the schedule change on that. We will have two services, and why will we have two services? Because we have a very, very special guest. Dr. Brian Chappell will be with us to preach both services. Uh, you have some bio information, and Dr. Chappell is also the stated clerk pro tem of our denomination right now. And so what a special opportunity this will be, and I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Services will be at 9 and 11. Uh, we'll be live streaming the 11 o'clock service, and the installation will be at the 11 o'clock service. And then save the date on May 30th. This will be Marion and Ginger Clark's last Sunday at LOPC. And we will have a farewell luncheon immediately following the worship service. So we want to invite you all to come out to that. And then as well, I just want to make mention that uh, we have a new website up and going. Please avail yourself to that. Check that out. Uh, they have done a tremendous job getting that up with the new logo and everything up and running, and so we encourage you to do that. So those are some of the things going on right now in the life of the church. We could probably go on and on, but God has called us into his very presence to worship him this morning. And so uh, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
God is indeed a faithful God. And as we enter into worship, a major part of worship is giving thanks. You're probably sitting out there thinking, did he forget? No, I didn't forget. I saved this particularly for the call to worship because I don't know about you all, but I am especially thankful for all the moms. My own mother, my wife as the mother of my son, my mother-in-law for all of you. And so we want to celebrate and give thanks and say happy Mother's Day to you all and give thanks to the Lord for the gift that he has given us of our moms. Now our call to worship this morning comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. This is God's invitation to us, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, we come to you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, through your own invitation, we come to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to delight in the Trinity, and we invoke your very name, your very presence to be amongst us. We give you praise. We seek your glory. We want to honor you. And we ask now, Father, that you would gift us your presence and your power in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would all stand for the opening hymn of praise. It's the great hymn of the faith, the church is one foundation. You will see the words printed in your bulletin. We are singing together verses 1, 2, 5, and 6.
Our confession of faith this morning comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions one and two. And so I will read the question and then you respond with the answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? But belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also me in such a way must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Let us stand and sing together how deep the Father's love for us. Thank you. 
You may be seated. I am always struck by those words that says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And because Jesus said, it is finished, it was accomplished, there is nothing that hinders us, nothing that bars us from his very presence and access to his throne of grace. So we are invited, in fact, we are ushered by the Spirit of God into the very presence of God to pray. And so we will, in unison, pray the Lord's Prayer, followed by a pastoral prayer. Let us pray together in unison. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we praise you this morning for your loving care for us, your nurture, your gentleness. Jesus, you described these words to describe yourself that you are gentle and lowly in heart. You invited us and instructed us to learn from you, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so, Father, we come before you with praises with prayers, with burdens, with suffering, with affliction, with the whole fullness that life brings us. And we come to you praying boldly and yet submissively. Boldly because you're our Father and we seek to hallow your name. Submissively because you rule and reign and yours is the kingdom. And we ask for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you would rule and reign in our lives, that we would more fully surrender each part and each area of our life to your lordship. That we would more and more lean into your love and care for us, knowing that when we obey you, we are truly more joyful and more happy. So, Father, we also ask this day, that you would give us our daily bread. And we pray, Father, for those who have been afflicted. We pray for those who are hurting. We ask that you would be with them. We ask that you would comfort them, that your presence would be felt, that your power would be made to bear and manifest in their lives. We ask, Father, that you would make us more and more holy as individuals, and as a church. That you would forgive us our debts as we are a community of forgiving people. That we would be marked and known by grace. As you have poured out grace upon us, may we offer grace to others, even our enemies. We ask that you would deliver us from all evil. We ask, Father, this because yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's pray together as we approach 
the very Word of God. Father, your Word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we pray that the text of Scripture would challenge and confront, contradict and comfort our very hearts, that you would do exactly what you intend and set out to do through your word in us. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The text upon which our teaching is based this morning comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. This is Luke's second volume. His first volume was his gospel that he wrote, and then this is kind of volume two of his two-volume work, uh, describing and elucidating for us, teaching us what Jesus, through his Spirit, is continuing to do in the life of the early church. And here we have one of those first descriptions of what we might want to call um, kind of the program for the church's community, and life. Hear the word of the Lord. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given to his people because he loves us. We began last week looking at a series on the vision and mission of LOPC. What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of Christians, what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of Christianity do we want to represent? I want to make a proposition for you. Let me propose this. Let's be a church that's for. You know what I mean by that? Let's be a church that's for being crazy about God, loving God with every ounce of our being, our mind, our soul, our hearts, our strength, loving one another and loving our community instead of being a church that's against. Let's put the culture wars aside. Let's be a church that's for the glory of God, the honor of God, the praise of God. Let's be a people, as I quoted last week, crazy for God. Last week, we explored the topic of worship as a way of life. Today, we are looking at the topic of community. What does it look like? What does it mean to do life together, to nurture and equip God's people to love one another? See, it's very interesting. If you read through the New Testament, the Scriptures tell us that God is purifying a people for himself. You ought to notice when you read your Bible how many of these things are plurals. They're directed to the community. They're directed to the church, not just us as individuals. 
God calls us his treasured possession, a trophy of his grace. I think the greatest, think about this, when God, when Jesus thinks about his people, do you know what he thinks of? He thinks of a bride. He calls, you can't get more intimate than that. When God thinks of us, he thinks of his bride. And this passage that we're looking at this morning talks about the community of the early church. It is the first place in the New Testament where the community is described. Commentator N.T. Wright, in his little tiny commentary called Acts for Everyone, called it one of the landmarks of the New Testament. By landmarks, he says, you're reading along and you're reading things, and then all of a sudden it's like, landmark, here comes a description. See, I've learned a little bit. I've lived here now 10 days. And I'm starting to learn a little bit about landmarks. There was one I was not even aware of until yesterday. I'm outside and I'm talking to my neighbor and we're getting to know each other. And uh, he's talking and he says, have you noticed the pyramid? (laughs) See, you all have. I was kind of, okay, no, you would have thought. Deserts of Egypt type of thing? You would have thought I would have picked up on that. He says, well, have you noticed the McDonald's? Have you seen me? What do you think? Have I noticed the McDonald's? Yes. He says, well, look across the street. So I said to Evie, we had to run to CVS and run to Publix yesterday. I said, we've got to go take a look at this. He says, there's a pyramid across the street from the McDonald's. So I'm driving up 44, and lo and behold, I said, look, it's a pyramid. Of course, I found out, I think it's called Lake Oconee Roofing, so it's, a, you know, I'm hoping I'm not going to need that for a long time to come. So here's how I want you to picture now this passage in the book of Acts. This is, this is our pyramid, okay? This is one of those landmarks that says this is what the early Christian community looked like. It's a descriptive passage. Notice the text says they were devoted to certain things. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers. They lived life together day by day in each other's homes, in the temple courts. All came, all these descriptive things. What is Luke doing? He is describing their early church's community. Now, let me try to be honest and practical with us for a second. Because I think we all know something of both the joys and the difficulties of community. We all long to be accepted, to be loved, to be known, to know. All you have to do is read, especially kind of in this last year, this pandemic year, read any articles and you see that there's an epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of people longing for friends and friendship. I'll date myself by this illustration, but how many of us remember the TV show Cheers? Any of us remember the TV show Cheers? Why was Cheers popular? It was because where everyone knows your name. They're getting at something there. I'm not saying they're preaching biblical truth. Don't get me wrong. This is just an illustration. But they are touching a nerve in the human heart and in the human soul. And that is we all want to be a part of a communion, of a fellowship, of a body where everyone knows our name where we can be real, where we can be honest, where we can be raw, where we can be authentic and still be loved and still be accepted. See, I want, I want you to think about something for a second. I want to pose this question to you. Which comes first, fellowship or mission? And I want to put it this way. 
Do you enter into fellowship first and then somehow mission happens? Or are you a people on mission, and when you're doing a task together, doing that mission together, fellowship and community kind of erupts? See, I discovered that the other morning when, and I think many of you heard the story, okay, our belongings, our stuff, our sofa and TVs and all of that, my nice, what color would you call this, salmon sport coat, arrived about 6 o'clock Thursday evening. After I had been waiting all day, by the phone, anxiously wanting my stuff to get it came at 6 o'clock Thursday evening, and they were gone by 1 o'clock Friday morning. Yes, that's way past my bedtime. By 9 o'clock, Evie's going, are you going to fall asleep over there on the floor? I'm going, yep, probably. You know what happened at 9 o'clock Friday morning? Here came the troops coming in on mission to put away our stuff. It was amazing. Folks came and they're putting together desks and they're putting together tables and they're putting together stuff up and everything's getting done. And I'm just amazed. They were on mission. We were a people on mission. And you know what happened as a result of that? Fellowship. Fellowship happened. People were getting to know me, and I was getting to know them. I was learning about people. We were having community. Doing life together happens as we are a people on mission together. And we learn that from Luke's description of the early church. Let's take a look at this from three perspectives. What does Luke want us to know? What do we learn about the early church from this particular passage? Three things. First, and yes, I know alliteration is not supposed to be real popular among preachers. You're told in preaching class, don't use alliteration. I like alliteration, though. I happen to think you remember better when you use alliteration. So you're getting three C's this morning. What did the early church look like? They were about cultivation, they were about celebration, and they were about communication. And yes, this is written in your outline before you. First of all, they were about cultivation. Tim Keller writes, he says, Our mutual love for one another is how the world will see who Jesus is. I'm going to read that again. Our mutual love for one another is how the world will see who Jesus is. The early church loved one another. The world does not want to see... Now, don't get me wrong. Truth is not just important, it's essential. So don't misquote me here. Truth is absolutely essential. But let me tell you what the world wants. The world that doesn't know Jesus yet. That's wondering, so here we are, we proclaim truth and we proclaim Jesus. What do they want to see? They want to see authentic love. They want to see relationships. They are hung. Why did I use the Cheers illustration? They want to experience friendships. Tim Keller is right. Our mutual love for one another will be a greater apologetic for the reality and the truth of the gospel than anything else we can say. And the early church, what did they do? They cultivated the life of God amongst them. Listen to what the text says. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
What does that mean? It means that they were a learning community. They centered on the apostles' message. And what was the apostles' message? It was the message of the gospel. They centered their life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we all center our lives on something. The world says it is okay for you to be centered on something, but don't impose it on anyone else. Keep it private. Keep your beliefs to yourself. Don't impose them on anyone. For the early church, this community, the gospel was the authoritative narrative. The gospel was the story that every other aspect of their lives came under. The message... The reason why it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching is that this message was authoritative for them. They were devoted to it. They were centered on it. They interpreted all of life from it. They didn't interpret life from what social media says, what the latest article says, what the latest expert says. All of their life was interpreted in light of the scriptures and the message of the gospel. That's what was authoritative for them. That's why they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Second, it says they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to one another. The Greek word there, the word koinonia, means common. means they shared together a common life. And that's because they shared God himself. See, there's a very important theological, or I'll call it even discipleship principle or perspective in here. See, when we read first words out of Genesis 1 are what? See, I can test my Bible scholars here. What are the first words out of Genesis? It says, in the beginning, God. Don't touch upon creation. That's what God did. But we're introduced to the words, in the beginning, God. And as we unfold the scriptures, what do we learn? We learn that God is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, God, from all time, think about this. Just put this together. So he's a triune God. He's a trinity. He's a tripersonal God. And then we also learn in the scriptures that God is love. So what was God doing before he created? They were, the members of the trinity were relating to one another. They were deferring to one another. They were loving one another. They were, dare I say it, devoted to one another. And then we're told that we are made in God's image. That we are made as God's image to reflect God. That means at heart, before we even get to the various faculties of thinking and of purpose and all all that, we are created and built for relationship. Because that's how we're made. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. As much as you might try, as much as you might have a love-hate relationship with community and things like that, you're built for relationship because, and this is every person, this is the common ground you have with the non-believing world. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has dignity and worth. Every human being is built for relationship. And we are called to reflect that. The church is called to cultivate that life. Now look what else describes their loving community. 
Verses 44 and 45 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed to the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, let me set your minds at ease for a second here. Luke is not concerned with an economic theory here. Okay, Luke is not speaking for or against capitalism or anything else. Luke is doing something entirely different here. He is showing that something happened to the early church, to the early disciples and followers of Jesus to cause them to have a radically different perspective toward their stuff. And do you know what that radically different perspective was? Their stuff was not their own. Anything they had was a gift and a blessing from God to be used for the good of others and the benefit of others. That their things were not merely for themselves, but for one another. That we are to use our things we have for one another. See, what is Luke doing here? He's describing a generosity in sacrifice, not merely generosity with your excess. If that sounds over the top, it is because it is. If that sounds radical, it is, it is because it is. Now, how in the world do we become a community like that? How do we cultivate that? It goes back to the message. See, what happened prior to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47? Remember, it was the day of Pentecost, and Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching, and he's explaining what's happening with the Spirit's coming, and he says, Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead, has made him the Christ, and he's received from God the Spirit, and he's given the Spirit. See, Peter is telling us in his sermon of God's over-the-top, radical, excessive generosity to his people. And he's saying the way you become radically generous and loving is the message, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being gripped by and embraced by the -the over-the-top generosity of God towards you. Do you see God's radical love towards you? There was a Croatian writer, his name was Miroslav Volf, and he wrote this. He says, inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us must be done by us. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others in ourselves and invite them in, even our enemies. The gospel message, the apostles' teaching that they were devoted to, shows us that this is what God does. He invites his enemies in. And then he says, a people transformed by this message are now God's agents in the world. This is what it means to cultivate the life of God. Next, we celebrate the life of God. Notice in the text in verse 42, the definite article, the, that's used. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. This probably gives reference to the Lord's Supper and probably prayer services or meetings. They're talking about the worship of the early church, the celebration of God's grace that went on in the early church. And there's two aspects of the community's worship that we learn here. First, we learn that it was both formal and informal. They met together in the temple courts and in their homes. 
See, they did, the early church didn't have all the dichotomies, all the compartmentalization that we do. What was worship for them? A way of life. Worship was everything. They worshiped in the temple courts. They worshiped when they were together. They worshiped in each other's homes. Second, their worship was both joyful and reverent. There were no worship wars for them. There was not, uh uh-oh, be careful of contemporary, or uh uh-oh, we don't like traditional. I mean, look at the text. Let the text speak to us. Verse 46 says they had glad and sincere hearts. And verse 43 says everyone was filled with a sense of awe or reverence. In other words, they were filled with a sense of gospel astonishment that both brought them to their knees and caused them to celebrate. The gospel struck them. The gospel stunned them. I think there can be nothing sadder in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church if we're bored by the gospel. Did we not listen to the words of how deep the Father's love for us went? How can you be bored by that? Gospel astonishment ought to mark all our doing life together. See, what happens when we worship? I want you to think about it. In our worship this morning, what have we done? We have called upon God to be present amongst us. We've sung his praises. We've asked him to meet us. We've asked him to visit us. What do we do continually in our celebration? We're coming back to the message. We're coming back to the word. Do not underestimate how much this is needed today. We live in a world where we are bombarded by so many other messages. Messages of where joy is to be found, of where satisfaction is to be found. Now, let's be honest, we struggle with these messages. We're bombarded by them ourselves every day. Why is worship so essential? Because we come back to the core message, that life is to be found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We come back to the word of the gospel that defines us, that shapes us, that centers us. Lastly, communication. And I want you to notice something here. The final aspect of the character of the community in this description is communication. Now, there's a reason I began our reading of the text with verse 41. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has those little uninspired, um, what do you call them, headlines or subtitles or something like that. And mine says, the fellowship of the believers. Now, that's uninspired. It's not part of the inerrant word. And it's trying to get you to think this is what it's being talked about. But the actual text, see, it almost makes you think a new paragraph begins there at verse 42. And that's not actually the case. Because verse 41 and verse 47, if you look, actually kind of bracket the entire passage. And what what do they, in a sense, each say? Verse 41 says, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Deacons, elders, are you ready for 3,000 people to just come rushing in here if the Spirit happens to do His work and and gets poured out in abundance? We may have some work to do. And verse 47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Now, I want you to notice something about this. Who does the adding? It says the Lord added to their number. It's not us. So don't feel... There's a great deal of freedom in that. And you know what that freedom really is meant for? Yes, it takes the pressure off, but it's meant for us to feel very free in doing what? Sharing Christ with our neighbors. Telling others, who is your best friend in life? Who is your champion? Who is your hero? What does God do to grow His church? He works through His people. And notice what the text says. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. He doesn't add to their number those who aren't being saved. And He added to their number. He doesn't add without enfolding them and bring them into the life of the church. So there are no nominal Christians and there are no isolated or solitary Christians. God is purifying a people, a treasured possession, a bride for Himself. And God wants a big family. He wants a big family. You know, He said things to Abraham like, um, Abraham, take a look at the sky. Start counting the stars. That'll be the number of your people. How about let's go to the beach? Let's have a field trip. Let's go to the beach. How about these grains of sand? See, God is such a generous father, such an abundant father. He wants a huge family. Do you know how he adds to that family? I mean, God can do anything any way he wants. Am I correct? I mean, it's kind of like God spoke light. God spoke, you know. So God doesn't lack any power. He can do whatever he wants. And yet, when it comes to evangelism, What does he say he'll do? He works through his people. Now, you'll probably hear over the years me say this a lot of times. One of my mystery questions of life and wondering, and I want to go, God, really? Don't you have a better... Have you looked at us lately? How good a job are we doing, you know, in turn? And God kind of says, I'm committed to plan A. And plan A has always been through my people. And it will continue to be through my people. There's a writer by the name of Harry Bohr who wrote in a book that he wrote years and years ago called Pentecost and Missions. He says, the acts is governed by one dominant, overriding, and all-controlling motif. This motif is the expansion of the faith through missionary witness in the power of the Spirit. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness and continually... Churches rise out of the witness. Friends, do you hear that? I want to make a second proposition to you and propose this. Instead of fighting the culture wars, instead of trying to convert people to whether it's our way of seeing things or our political viewpoint or whatever it might be, let's be a people on mission. Let's be a missionary people, a people that looks at the culture around us, and again, doesn't have a us versus them mentality, but instead, as one writer put it, that we would be a faithful presence of love in the midst of all the absences of the world, that we would be a missionary people. And again, how in the world do we begin to do this? It goes back to the message. Let's be honest. Community is hard work. 
There is a lot that wars against community. Let me be very frank and very honest with you. Our enemy, the devil, let me tell you something. He hates everything Jesus loves. What does Jesus love? He loves his bride. He loves with a passion his bride. He loves his church. What does Satan want to tear down? Satan wants to tear down his church, the church. And so Satan hates community. So guess what? We have to be vigilant at loving one another and doing one another. And this is not a new or unique thing. This is not something new to 2021. You want to know how old this is? This is very old. This is ancient. You know where it goes back to? It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Remember our first parents, Adam and Eve? Remember how they originally related to one another? Naked and unashamed, facing each other, moving towards each other. No fear of rejection, no insecurity, no defensiveness, pure vulnerability, perfect relationship. And then entered the garden, the serpent. And what happened? Amongst other things, community disintegrated. Because what happened? They were ashamed. They were fearful. They blamed each other. They were defensive. I think defensiveness is one of the things that's killing the church today. We don't have conversations with one another, let alone an unbelieving world, because the minute someone says something, we get so defensive defending our position rather than seeking to listen and understand. We have to come back to the message, come back to the gospel. See, community erupts when God draws near. And what does God do in the person of Jesus Christ? He draws near. And how did he do that? By on the cross. Think about this. For that period of time, the community of the Trinity was broken. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Community the perfect community for that particular time disintegrated. Why? So that we could be brought into the community of the Trinity and have community with one another. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. The reason community so infrequently happens is that we center our lives on the wrong word. Friends, we need to center our lives on the gospel the word of the gospel, the reality of the gospel. That must be our devotion and our passion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask now that as we come to your table, that we would, as we've heard your word, we now in a sense see it. Before our very eyes, we would see in the form you've given us, Christ crucified. We ask, Father, feed us with Jesus. Renew our hearts. Strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this is the Lord's table. It's not the table of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. It's not the table of the elders. It's not our table. It is the Lord's table. Jesus Christ is the host of this meal. And Jesus Christ is inviting his family, those who profess faith, all baptized believers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are no longer trusting in themselves, but are leaning into the fire. It may not make any sense. Talk about a mystery. Why would God accept us based on absolutely nothing we can offer, nothing we can merit, nothing we could ever do? He does it to honor the work of his son. All it takes. And and maybe you're here this morning and you either don't know you're a believer or haven't yet committed your life to Christ. Now may be the day of salvation for you. I invite you right now. It is really simple. All you have to do is pretty much ask God, accept me because of what Jesus has done. Those who confess the Lord with their mouth believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead are saved. And we want to invite you to come and share this meal. It is only if you know for a fact you don't believe. Here's what I want to invite you. Please come. Keep checking it out. Check out the Ask the good shepherd to make himself known to you. Please keep coming. But let the elements pass by. And my Christian friends, I want you to be encouraged. This, this meal is for God to strengthen and renew his family. This meal is for God to say, you can't navigate life in your own strength. It's too hard. Quit trying to be perfect. You've been a hamster on a hamster wheel. Get off the wheel. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It may feel completely counterintuitive to do nothing. That's what God is calling us to do. Come to Jesus, and he will get... Notice where he gives the rest, too. He gives rest to your souls. Rest to having to prove yourself. Rest to having to be good enough. Rest to having to be adequate and competent and perfect at everything. Feed on Jesus. Let him be the source and strength of your life. Father, we ask now that you would set apart these holy elements for their use to strengthen us, to love us, to feed us. We participate in you and we come by faith. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. For the forgiveness of sins. 
drink all of it. Words almost escape me, Father, to think of the reality that you would send your son Jesus to rescue a rebellious, wicked, evil people. That we are, if we're honest about our flesh, everything about us is constantly turning inward upon ourselves. We are so self-absorbed and so self-obsessed. And we get to see, Father... Jesus giving his power away, sacrificing himself, and then inviting us to find life in him. May those of us who have been recipients of your grace now be its agents in the world. Renew us, feed us, strengthen us. We thank you for this sacrament, and we ask that you would bless our leaving this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing our final hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
friends now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Good.